Well, if you've opened your Bibles, you're going to be in the book of Judges. Judges chapter 4. I hope we will enjoy our study uh, this morning. We're going to be introduced to uh, three people of faith, and that is always encouraging. And we're going to be challenged by the details of what we are going to read. It's going to challenge us uh, because we're going to be able to see how we think. Uh, it's going to show us how our, uh, what our attitude is and how we approach some things. We've all heard the expression that the glass is half full or the glass is half empty. And what that expression is recognizing is that we have a tendency, can you turn me down just a little bit? I got a ring in. What that expression is recognizing is that we have a tendency to approach things from a certain perspective. Um, sometimes we look at certain things in positive ways and sometimes we look at certain things in negative ways. And so this, what we're going to read this morning is uh, to me extremely exciting and challenging at the same time. We're going to we're going to meet three people who uh, have incredible faith, and that's always good for us to hear about. But as we move through what's occurring, depending on if your glass is half full or your glass is half empty, it's going to have something to do with the conclusions that you're going to be tempted to make, because this passage does not connect all of the dots. It leaves us with impressions. It implies things. And so we want to exercise caution this morning and recognize that uh, we have a tendency to draw conclusions too early. And so I think it's going to be very fascinating as we do this. So we're going to read uh, the chapter together, uh, but we're going to begin with verse 31 of chapter 3. Well, remember that last Sunday we talked about a judge by the name of Ehud. And there was a, a Canaanite king, uh, Eglon of the Moabite, and what happened with him. And when they were able to uh, defeat the Moabites, there was peace for 80 years. And then in verse 31, it tells us, After Ehud, Shamgar, son of Anath, became judge. He delivered Israel by striking down 600 Philistines with an ox goad. And this is why we call Shamgar a minor judge, simply because that's all we know about him. There's not much else said about him. A little bit more in chapter 5. But... That's about it. Verse 1 of chapter 4. The Israelites again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord after Ehud had died. So the Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. The commander of his forces was Sisera, who lived in Hashereth of the nations. Then the Israelites cried out to the Lord because Jabin had 900 iron chariots and he harshly oppressed them 20 years. 
Deborah, a woman who was a prophet, and the wife of Lipidoth was judging Israel at that time. It was her custom to sit under the palm tree of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim, and the Israelites went up to her for judgment. She summoned Barak, son of Abinoam, from Kadesh and Naphtali, and said to him, Hasn't the Lord, the God of Israel, commanded you? Go, deploy the troops on Mount Tabor, and take with you 10,000 men from the Naph Naphtaliites and the Zebu and Zeblu Zeb <laughs> Zebulonites. Then I will lure Sisera, commander of Jabin's forces, his chariots, and his army at the Wadi Kishon to fight against you, and I will hand him over to you. Well, Barak said to her, I will go with, uh, if you will go with me, I will go. But if you will not go with me, I will not go. And she said, I will go with you, but you will receive no honor on the road you are about to take, because the Lord will sell Sisera into a woman's hand. And so Deborah got up and she went with Barak to Kadesh. Barak summoned Zebulun and Naphtali to Kadesh. Ten thousand men followed him, and Deborah also went with him. Now Heber the Kenite had moved away from the Kenites, the sons of Hobab, Moses' father-in-law, and pitched his tent beside the oak tree of Zanim, which was near Kadesh. And it was reported to Sisera that Barak, son of Abinoam, had gone up, uh, had gone up Mount Tabor. And Sisera summoned all his 900 iron chariots and all the people who were with him from Hashereth of the nations to the Wadi Kishon. Then Deborah said to Barak, Move on, for this is the day the Lord has handed Sisera over to you. Hasn't the Lord, the Lord gone before you? So Barak came down from Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following him. The Lord threw Sisera, all of his charioteers, and all his army into confusion with the sword before Barak. Sisera left his chariot and fled on foot. Barak pursued the chariots and the army as far as Harshareth of the nations, and the whole army of Sisera fell by the sword. Not a single man was left. Meanwhile, Sisera had fled on foot to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite, because there was peace between Jabin, king of Hazor, and the family of Heber the Kenite. Jael went out to greet Sisera, and she said to him, Come in, my lord, come in with me, don't be afraid. So he went into her tent, and she covered him with a rug, and he said to her, Please give me a little water to drink, for I am thirsty. She opened a container of milk, gave him a drink, and covered him again. Then he said to her, Stand at the entrance to the tent. If a man comes and asks you, Is there a man here? Say no. And while he was sleeping from exhaustion, Heber's wife, Jael, took a tent peg, grabbed a hammer, and went silently to Sisera. She hammered the peg into his temple and drove it into the ground, and he died. When Barak arrived in pursuit of Sisera, Jael went out to greet him, and she said, Come and I will show you the man you were looking for. So he went in with her, and there was Sisera lying dead with a tent peg through his temple. And that day God subdued Javan, king of Canaan, before the Israelites. And the power of the Israelites continued to increase against Javan, king of Canaan, until they, were, until they destroyed him. Well, we begin with verse 31 at the end of chapter 3 with Shamgar. Ehud overthrew Eglon, and there was peace for 80 years. 
And then we would come up, come up on this fellow by the name of Shamgar. And so we're told about him. And then in chapter 1, or in verse 1 of chapter 4, we begin to learn about Deborah. And so it leaves us with the impression that this is the chronology. It's, it's Ehud, then Shamgar, and then Deborah. At least that's the impression that we're giving, isn't it? It tells us that Jabin uh, reigned. I should have put that up there for you. It tells us that uh, Jabin, this uh, Canaanite king, he reigned in Hazor, and Sisera was the commander of his army. Now, Hazor, uh, if you just think about Israel as a, as a giant rectangle, at the very top, or towards the top, is the Sea of Galilee. The Jordan River runs down to the Dead Sea. Well, Hazor is 10 miles north of the Sea of Galilee. So it's quite a ways up there. And uh, this Canaanite king has his, has his uh, throne there. This is where his palace is. This is where he uh, is ruling from. Uh, there, in the past, in Joshua chapter 11, uh, this coalition of Canaanite kings uh, reigned from Hazor, and Joshua destroyed them. And so obviously they have rebuilt, and in a big way. They have 900 iron chariots, and they have it's a, a formidable military, obviously, and unmatched. And they are oppressing Israel, and they've been doing it for 20 years. A long time. If someone gets the bright idea of trying to overthrow our government from within, you know, it's like a, if, if someone wanted to invade our country on the shores, the west coast, you know, they might tear through Los Angeles, but at a certain point, the United States military is going to get involved. And so you can just imagine how helpless Israel was. This army was huge and strong, powerful. They'd been defeated, but they had rebuilt. They were back. And Israel was under their thumb. Well, we're introduced to Deborah in uh, verse 4. She's a prophetess, and she is judging from Ephraim. And uh, Moses' mother-in-law was Miriam, and she was a prophetess. There's other prophetesses in the Bible. But we should notice that while this oppression is occurring, she's judging. So this kind of sheds a little bit of a light on the, on the period and what a judge actually did. They, uh, this would have been a woman who would have had messages from God. Uh, this would have been a woman who uh, ruled wisely and they would come to her for advice and she basically held court. And just because... Uh, you know, we tend, to, we tend to think that the cycle is that, you know, uh, things go south and then God raises up a judge. Well, here, things have went south and she's still judging. And she's been judging the, the country. But things change. And things change because the people finally cry out to God. And this is when Deborah had a different message. And so she summoned Barak, and he is from the tribe of Naphtali. And there in verses 6 and 7, she says, The Lord, 
the God of Israel has commanded you, deploy the troops on Mount Tabor and take with you 10,000 men from these two tribes, Naphtali and Zebulun. Naphtali is his tribe. And then I will lure Sisera, commander of Jabin's forces, his chariots and his army at the Wadi Kishon to fight against you. And I will hand him over to you. Now last week we were studying Ehud and we identified three different things that he was going to have to have if he was going to be successful in fulfilling God's mission. So if God asks you to do something for him, you're going to need the same three things. And that's power, strategy, and courage. If you try to do it on your own, you're in big trouble. You need God. That's the power. And you have to have a plan. You don't just wing it. And courage. Courage, we remember, is when you do something even though you're scared. Well, here we have all three. Obviously, the power here is God. He's the one who is going to lure Sisera into this trap. He is the one who's going to hand him over. And it's obviously God who has the strategy because from Barak's, uh, from Barak's uh, perspective, this is suicide. Impossible. And so... He's got to come up with some faith. He's going to have to trust God and he's got to do something very scary because even though God hands uh, these, this army over to Israel, that doesn't mean that there's not a war, that people don't die, that it's not dangerous. Courage. You have to have courage. And Barak is going to have to come up with a lot of it. So what is his response when Deborah says for him to do this? This is what God wants you to do. He said, I will go if you go. And then she says, I will go with you, but you will receive no honor on the road that you are about to take because the Lord will sell Sisera into a woman's hand. There in verse 9. Barak appears to be reluctant to lead his army into a certain disaster. It's as if he lacks faith and that this caused him to miss the victory taking out Sisera himself. After all, in the initial command, God said, I will hand him over to you. So, uh, this is the, the chronology here is that Deborah tells him what God wants him to do. I'm going to hand him over to you. And he says, well, I'll go, but you have to go with me. And then she says, well, I will go with you, but you will not be the one to take out Sisera. It's going to be given to a woman. So it gives us the impression that he lacked faith. But when God said, I will hand him over to you, that could have just been a broad statement about the victory as a whole. Maybe Barak was just smart enough to know that he needed Deborah to go with him for direction, for counsel, for timing. And we do notice that Barak, uh, Barak did go and we saw that Deborah went. And so his request couldn't have been completely outside of God's will. Or Deborah wouldn't have went at all. And then we find out in verse 10 that they went. Barak and Deborah and these 10,000 men. And they went to a place called Kadesh. Now, uh, here's a map. Um, 
Hazor is 10 miles north of the Sea of Galilee. And there's a place called Kadesh that's way up there above the Sea of Galilee too. So you've got Hazor, Kadesh, and then you finally come down to the Sea of Galilee. But the Bible here identifies this as Kadesh Naphtali. Now you'll see that in verse 6. And so this is a, a believed to have been on the southwestern coast of the Sea of Galilee. And the map there is from the first century. That's, that's uh, the time of Jesus, the time of Christ. And so that is a Roman city, Tiberias. So we're, we're jumping ahead a long ways in this map. But I thought that it might be helpful for us to just see where Tiberias is and then to think that where Barak is from, he lives in Kadesh. And so it's just about two miles south of Tiberias. And this is where he lived. And this is where Deborah and him and these 10,000 men have came together in preparing for battle. And I think the map there has Mount Tabor on it too. If you look, you can probably see it on there. And then out of the blue, the Bible kind of starts telling us about this guy named Heber, who's a Kenite, uh, the Kenite. And we will remember that these are relatives uh, uh, of Moses' wife. And earlier in chapter 1, we found out that they uh, had moved to Israel with, the, with Israel. And they were living in the land south of Judah. And that they were following God. So they uh, were believers. Well, here we find this family... Uh, Heber is the man, the, the leader, and he has moved his family north. Near Kadesh, Naphtali. And in verse 17, it tells us that he was living in peace with Jabin, the king of Hazor. How does that work? So he is at peace. So he has moved away from his people up north. And he is at peace with this Canaanite king who has been oppressing Israel. Well, Barak and his army and Deborah, uh, they go to Mount Tabor. And Sisera uh, hears of what's going on. And so he brings his army to the base of Mount Tabor. Now, let's just kind of, can you see Mount Tabor on the map there? Can you see where it's at? So they've moved over to Mount Tabor, and uh, this is what the mountain looks like. Isn't that neat? That's Mount Tabor. And so this army has ascended this mountain. I don't know how high up they went, but they're up on the mountain. And Sisera has came to Mount Tabor, but he's on the flatland at the base of the mountain. And uh, this, uh, this next map will show you, give you an idea of the height of Mount Tabor. You can see the other mountain ranges there in the land. Mount Tabor's uh, 1,800 feet above sea level, almost 1,900. And it's the traditional site of the Transfiguration, but it probably occurred on Mount Hermon. 
can see how high it is, the snow. That, that place, has, it has snow on it, Mount Hermon. And uh, the way they measure that is by the sea level. And so, you know, in Cincinnati, we've got the Ohio River. And as streets move away from the Ohio River, they, they, the numbers climb. And so uh, that's where the sea level is. And so the, the height is measured from that. Well, this is the Valley of Jezreel. You should be able to see Mount Tabor. And as you drop right below Mount Tabor, there's another little uh, height of ground that's brown. That's Mount Mora, M-O-R-E-H. It's not on the map, but that's not to be confused with Mount Moriah, which of course is in Jerusalem. So this is quite a bit north of that. But you, you can see Mount Tabor and Mount Gilboa. And so there is a, the Kishon River begins there at Mount, in the mountains of Gilboa and it runs west and drains into the Mediterranean. If you look at that Valley of Jezreel, you can see how it's just flat. It runs all the way to, to Gilboa, but then it also branches off to the north and runs below at the base of Mount Tabor. You can see that, right? And if, as it gets closer to the Sea of Galilee, you can begin to see the mountainous ridges and the, the wadis, and so the little crevices and canyons and channels. And so, uh, he has his army at the Wadi Kashan. And so Kashan is at the base of Mount Mora. So if I haven't confused you enough already, you've got Mount Tabor and Mount Mora, and in between is his army. And this is a Wadi. And what a Wadi is, is it's a place in the desert where you see where there's, sometimes when it rains real hard, water rushes through it. And so uh, very dangerous places when water uh, comes through them because it will come through them very quickly. It's kind of like a, uh, a drainage ditch that overflows when it rains real hard. And so you can see the, the wadis as it moves towards the end of the, uh, the valley as it begins to move towards the Sea of Galilee. Now we're also going to find out that this battle that occurs is at the base of Mount Tabor, and it extends all the way over to Megiddo, near the waters of Megiddo. So as this Kishon River runs past Megiddo, so there was a, the battle took, took the, the whole plain there from Mount Tabor to Megiddo. But there's a standstill. It's a standoff. So Sarah was happy to surround them while they're up on this mountain. He's got them trapped. They can't do anything. If they come down, they, they have to face his army. If they stay up there, they can starve to death. Well, this is when Deborah tells Barak that it's time. In verse 14, she says, Move on, for this is the day the Lord has handed Sisera over to you. And he's looking at her like, Are you serious? And she says, Hasn't the Lord gone before you in the past? Hasn't he been there? You guys remember when they entered the land of Canaan, they got across the Jordan River? It's this, it's this incredible picture of these guys 
and they're carrying the Ark of the Covenant, and they actually have to step into the water, and then God parts it. You know, it's that stepping out in faith. I'm going to trust you, God, but you've got to be there. I'm going to step off this cliff, but you've got to catch me. You've got to be there. It's faith. And so what she was asking him to do, to come down off this mountain and face that army, uh, had to be absolutely terrifying. It was going to take a, a lot of courage. Well, in verse 15, we're not really told what happens, but we're told that, that God throws His army into confusion and Israel wins. So much so that Sisera has to flee on foot in humiliation. He's, now he's running. He doesn't have his chariot anymore. He's on foot running. And he runs for Heber's tent, Heber the Kenite. He runs to him for safety. So that's pretty bad, isn't it? That this, this army... A general, the commander. It's kind of like the bad guy runs to your house because he thinks he's going to be safe in your house. That doesn't speak very well of you, does it? Well, he runs to Heber's house. And there's Jael, Heber's wife. And she tells him to come on in. You'll be safe here. I'll hide you. Then we find out that she kills him. So we're getting some mixed signals there, aren't we? First, they're at peace with Jabin. So Sarah finds, thinks that he's safe there, but they're an ally, and then she turns around and kills him. And then when Barak comes by in hot pursuit, she flags him down and says, Hey, I got him. He's in here. Take a look. Well, chapter 5 is a celebratory song. The whole chapter is a song. And it is a song about these events that occur in chapter 4. And as you might expect, we are given a number of very important details. Judges chapter 5. On that day, Deborah and Barak, son of Abinoam, sang, when the leaders lead in Israel, when the people volunteer, praise the Lord. Listen, kings, pay attention, princes. I will sing to the Lord. I will sing praise to the Lord God of Israel. Lord, when you came from Seir, when you marched from the fields of Edom, the earth trembled, the heavens poured rain, the clouds poured water, the mountains melted before the Lord, even Sinai before the Lord, the God of Israel. In the days of Shamgar, son of Anath, in the days of Jael, the main ways were deserted because travelers kept to the side roads. Villages were deserted. They were deserted in Israel until I, Deborah, I arose, a mother in Israel. Israel chose new gods. Then war was in the gates. Not a shield or spear was seen among 40,000 in Israel. My heart is with the leaders of Israel, with the volunteers of the people. Praise the Lord. You who ride on white donkeys, who sit on saddle blankets, and who travel on the road, get praise. Let them tell the righteous acts of the Lord, the righteous deeds of His warriors in Israel, with the voices of the singers at the watering places. Then the Lord's people went down to the gates. Awake, awake, Deborah, awake. 
Awake, sing a song. Arise, Barak, and take hold of your captives, son of Abinoam. The survivors came down to the nobles. The Lord's people came down to meet me with the warriors. Those with their roots in Amalek came from Ephraim. Benjamin came with your people after you. The leaders came from Machir, and those who carry a martial staff came from Zebulun. The princes of Ishkar were with Deborah. Ishkar was with Barak. They set out at their heels in the valley. There was great searching of heart among the clans of Reuben. Why did you sit among the sheepfolds listening to the playing of pipes for the flocks? There was great searching of heart among the clans of Reuben. Gilead remained beyond the Jordan. Dan, why did you linger at the ships? Asher remained at the seashore and stayed in its harbors. Zebulun was a people risking their lives, Naphtali also, on the heights of the battlefield. Kings came and fought. Then the kings of Canaan fought at Tanakh by the waters of Megiddo. But they took no spoils or silver. The stars fought from the heavens. The stars fought with Sisera from, the course, from their courses. The river Kishon swept them away. The ancient river, the river Kishon, march on my soul in strength. The horse's hooves then hammered the galloping, galloping of his stallions. Curse Meroz, says the angel of the Lord. Bitterly curse her inhabitants, for they did not come to help the Lord, to help the Lord against the mighty warriors. Jael is most blessed of women, the wife of Heber the Kenite. She is most blessed among tent-dwelling women. He asked for water, she gave him milk. She brought him curdled milk in a majestic bowl. She reached for a tent peg, her right hand for a workman's mallet. Then she hammered Sisera. She crushed his head. She shattered and pierced his temple. He collapsed. He fell. He lay down at her feet. He collapsed. He fell at her feet. Where he collapsed, there he fell dead. Sisera's mother looked through the window. She peered through the lattice, crying out, Why is his chariot so long in coming? Why don't I hear the hoofbeats of his horses? Her wisest princesses answer her. She even answers herself. Are they not finding and dividing the spoil, or girl or two for each warrior? The spoil of colored, covered, colored garments for Sisera, the spoil of embroidered garments or two for my neck? Lord, may all your enemies perish as Sisera did, but may those who love him be like the rising of the sun in its strength. It tells us that on that very day, Deborah and Barak sang, they both exercised incredible faith and they both praised God. The leaders led and the people volunteered. And then in verses 4 and 5, it reflects on the faithfulness of God, His track record. In verse 6, it talks about Shamgar. In the days of Shamgar was also in the days of Jael. So now all of a sudden we realize that in verse 31, when it says, after Ehud, we, we can know for certain that Shamgar and Deborah were contemporaries. And so Shamgar was fighting the Philistines, and the Philistines were on the coast. And so this would have been in the southern part of Israel and on the, on the Mediterranean coast. So Shamgar was down there. We're talking about a judge at the same time who is farther north around the Sea of Galilee. So that's clarified for us. But it tells us that this was a, a terrifying time. It was a, a time when uh, people had to travel and they, they stuck to the roads, the side roads. 
And watering holes were dangerous places. Villages were deserted. A terrible time. It kind of pictures for us what it was like to be living in that period of time under the oppression. Our nation is very strong, but we don't oppress our people. Very different. All of this changed when the people cried out to the Lord. As soon as you're ready to repent, God's ready to help you. We also find out that there was 40,000 men, but they didn't have any shields or spears. They had been disarmed. Their oppressors had taken away their weapons. Now we see something very different, don't we? Now we realize that Barak is on Mount Tabor. He's got his 10,000 men from the tribes of Zebulun and Naphtali. But they have called out to the other tribes for help, and other tribes have came. 30,000 other men. But they don't have any weapons. How are they supposed to defeat this army? What's sad is we found out in this song that some of the tribes came to help and some of them didn't. Ephraim came, Benjamin. Macher is Manasseh. It's an area of Manasseh. Zebulun and Ishkar, they were there with Deborah and Barak in verse 14. Now look at the other ones. Reuben didn't come. It says that there was great searching of the heart among the clans of Reuben, but they didn't come. Christians like to say things like, well, let me pray about it. Gilead, Dan, and Asher, they didn't come either. And this place called Meriz, this village, the angel of the Lord, who we've met earlier in this book, cursed them, for they did not come to help the Lord. They, had no, they wanted nothing to do with Little Bighorn. They were quite content to stay where they were. Obviously, these tribes that didn't participate are going to enjoy the freedom that follows. There's always people who don't want to help, but are always quick to help pick up the spoils. It's kind of like an estranged family member shows up for its inheritance, or a greedy sibling salivating over assets when someone dies. That is contrasted by Zebulun and Naphtali. It says that they were valiant, outstanding. And it says that in verses 18 and 19, it says that they, uh, they risked their lives on the heights of the battlefield and then took no spoil. What a contrast. Chapter 5 explains to us how they actually won this battle. Beginning in verse 21, we find out that God created a, an incredible storm. It was water. The, the river Kishon swept them away. Now we know what God's strategy was. And by the way, Barak's name means lightning. Without shields or spears, victory was impossible without God. Let's look at this valley one more time. 
Now we can begin to imagine this river that flows from Gilboa to the Mediterranean and this incredible storm. Not only is it raining, but the river's flooding and the entire valley is filling up with water. And the chariots are sinking in the mud. And as they are swept away into the wadis and being killed, the other ones are trying to find high ground and they are trying to ascend Mount Tabor where Israel is waiting. Perfect plan. It was God's perfect plan. See there on the map, uh, I just want to talk about Jezreel for a minute. Jezreel, you see the city there. That means God sows. That's what the name means. You think about that valley and all of the things that happened in that valley in the Bible. Jezreel. David's wife was from Jezreel. This battle occurs in this valley. The next judge we're going to study is Gideon and He's going to fight the Midianites in this valley. King Saul died in that valley. So did Josiah. And of course, at Megiddo, eventually Armageddon. It's a very important place in the Bible. I want us to think about how much of chapter 4 was clarified by chapter 5? Not everything, but, but quite a bit. For one, we found out that Shamgar was not in a chronology. It wasn't Ehud, Shamgar, Deborah. We found out that he was a contemporary of Deborah. And when we studied the Bible here, we were reading in chapter 4, we were introduced to this guy named Heber, the Kenite, who had left his people and moved north and was somehow at peace with this horrible Canaanite king. So much so that Sisera felt safe to run to them for help. But then we find out that God chose Jael, this woman, the guy's wife. What are we to make of that? Maybe this couple walked away from God. Maybe they did. And they moved north and they were in cahoots with these people. Living wrong. We don't know. The truth is. Maybe the husband was... Had, his, his heart had left God, but hers hadn't. Maybe she repented. And God had a job for her on the spot. There's much to find out. And someday... We can ask him because JL is going to be in heaven and we will get to talk to her about it. But either way, regardless, we can see the providence of God because he put the right person in the right place at the right time. We talked about how you have to have God's power. God has to be in something. And we talked about a strategy. And so you can see that this entire masterpiece was orchestrated by God and he had everything planned out. And before it all, before any of it had even occurred, Deborah the prophetess said, So Sarah will fall at the hands of a woman. 
it just shows that God is in control. It's a, it gives us hope and it should increase our faith and encourage us because He's in charge. And then finally, Barak. You know, um, he gets, uh, he gets uh, abused a lot, you know, because it looks like he, he lacked faith and so God took away the honor of getting to kill Sisera. Well, if that's true, I don't know. But if it is, um, he got off to a rocky, rocky start, but he, he definitely finished strong. He even made God's hall of faith in Hebrews chapter 11. By comparing chapter 4 and chapter 5, this shows us that we don't know everything. But it's okay, because God does. God has it under control. And then in closing, we are left with this image of Sisera's mom looking out the window, wondering why he hasn't got back yet. Verse 28 says, Sisera's mother looked through the window. And so her wisest princesses and even herself began to create scenarios in their minds to explain to themselves why he wasn't back yet. The scenarios are awful. I mean awful. Are they not finding and dividing the spoil? Oh, they're just tearing through everybody's stuff. A girl or two for each warrior. That's probably what they're doing. Oh, he's probably finding colored garments for himself. Oh, and he's probably going to bring an embroidered garment or two back for me. False hope. Because he wasn't coming back. He was dead. It is truly sad what so many people have placed their hope in. But people of faith hope only in God. And here at the end of this verse, chapter 5, God compares people of faith like the rising of the sun in its strength. Let's pray.